On this episode of the other Bundesliga, we discuss the final European placings post-playoffs, there's talk of a bigger Bundesliga, a bit of transfer news and an international preview too. Welcome to the Long Haul in Vienna. We've got cold drinks in hand and we are ready to deliver the latest instalment of everybody's favourite Austrian football podcast in English. It is the other Bundesliga, of course. Thanks for being here with us once again. And thank you to Simon Clark, who joins me, Tom Midler, for this episode. First time in a while that we've had you back on the pod side. That's uh, really nice. A quick thing before we begin, though, if you're enjoying our weekly format podcasts, please do tell a friend, do spread the word. That really helps us to find new listeners and followers better than any other method, really. And if you like your European leagues, then you're going to love our sister podcast, The Sweeper, as well. That's got all the quirky news from all 55 of the UEFA leagues. Back to Austria for this episode, though. And the Austrian season, in terms of top-flight club football, it's officially over for 2022-23. The final European playoff spot has been clinched after a mini three-game tourney, and with that, it is now the off-season. But if there were any fears from our side that news and interesting things might dry up, well, we couldn't have been much more wrong, because last week was packed with talking points from beyond those playoffs, But we will start for today with those aforementioned games, which began with a playoff semi-final between Viazzi and Lustenau over one leg. That happened on Monday, and that was before the Conference League final, Simon. So uh, we're already kicking off qualifiers for next season's Conference League before the final even took place. Firstly, thank you for welcoming me back. It's been four weeks, I think, since my last appearance on the podcast. I've been very, very busy with uh, seeing family back in England. A trip to Istanbul as well, which was very nice. Unfortunately, it wasn't uh, due to the Champions League. It was just, uh, just a holiday that was booked months ago. You could have just said Istanbul and everybody would have assumed <laughs> you were there for the Champions League final. No, no, unfortunately I was not. And then uh, I think last week I was just a bit busy with, with, with work because we all have lives outside this podcast as well. But uh, no, it's great to be back. And yeah, it was quite a dramatic semi-final, wasn't it? VRC had won the uh, group. So essentially, VRC had stolen the, the Heimrecht, the home advantage for the semi-final. But it didn't do them any good because they conceded very, very late on. 96th minute was the goal from Dario Grucic, which equalised for Austria Lustenau. And then the plucky outsiders from way out west scored in extra time as well through Lucas Friedrichast, who's been in hot form on a real hot streak in 2023. And they turned it around even after uh, Ty Baribo had scored a late goal for VRC. He put them uh, ahead from the penalty spot with five minutes to play and you'd have thought VRC were heading for the final. Could have been a repeat of VRC against Austria. That was the Conference League final but back in 20... Conference League final. Conference League playoff final back in 2019, if I'm correct. Almost a Conference League playoff classico in terms of Austrian <laughs> football. Yeah, pretty much. But fortunately for the small band of travelling Lustenau fans, which that is a hell of a journey, but particularly on a... Um, Monday evening from Lustenau to Wolfsburg and they were re- re- rewarded with an extremely late equaliser and, and then a winner in extra time. And then they travelled back to Lustenau to, to host Austria-Vienna on Thursday night. Yeah, they did. First leg, 1-1, tightly poised. I thought Yadali Diaby looked very, very good for Lustenau in that game. And Manfred Fischer scored for Austria-Vienna as well. And I found it interesting that Fischer would have a good little playoff tournament because he was the one after the last match day of the Bundesliga who said we'd rather finish fifth than lose in Klagenfurt, which is, of course, what Rapid had done to finish fourth. Uh, it was 
I would term that a complete lie. Of course, he would have rather finished fourth, wouldn't he? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, after such a long season as well, and particularly this season, we have a winter break. That was the longest in Austrian history. It's been a very long year, and to have, have to play at least two more matches if you're the team for, uh, dropping down from the championship round, it's not necessary. If, if it was possible to get fourth, it's definitely worthwhile getting fourth. And as you saw in that first game, it was a very tightly contested match. Unfortunately, the second leg, due to circumstances, wasn't as tightly contested. No, it wasn't. Mister, I'd rather finish fifth than not losing Klagenfurt. Uh, by the way, Austria-Vienna had uh, drawn twice with Klagenfurt this season and lost once at home to Klagenfurt. So I'm not really sure what Fischer was talking about. However, uh, Manfred Fischer would have the last laugh. He scored in the uh, first leg, as I said, in the one-all draw. Game was tightly poised, but uh, Fischer got the first goal in the second leg and he got another one as well as Austria-Vienna ran out 5-0 winners. A comfortable playoff final decision in the end. However, Austria-Lustenau's chances were really more than just dashed by the early red card for Jean Hugonet. Um, a foot to the face on uh, Doran Leidner. A slightly controversial call as well with the VAR and the red card. What were your thoughts on that? It was obviously compounded by Austria-Vienna scoring immediately afterwards too, but the red itself, was it justified? It's one of those where you've seen them given in the past. At the time, I thought it was quite harsh because it was reckless, but it wasn't purposely reckless. The ball's in the air, it's an honest attempt to, to reach it. It was a high foot and it hit the player. It's unlucky. Uh, whether it was a red in my book, by the law of the game, potentially, but... Yeah, it was a bit harsh and it, it did turn the entire match. And also that was his last ever appearance for Austria Lustenau as well. So. Yeah, a, a very bitter end for Ugone, who walked off with his shirt over his face, uh, pretty disconsolate as he left the field. I think Austria Lustenau, in their heart, uh, and the travelling fans, of which there were a great number as well, I think they will have known that their job was probably going from, from difficult to impossible at that moment. But the fact that you weren't sure, I wasn't sure, you said, yeah, it was reckless play is, is sort of a potential way to look at it whenever there's a high foot in the face. But Dovedan nips in from behind him. He didn't even know he was there. So you can't really say it was reckless in terms of endangering the safety of another player because how can you account for a player who's behind you in a way? If you see somebody coming towards you and you put your foot up and you put your studs up, then, then you're making the choice to go into that challenge. But when the player's behind you, it, it does add a different element to it. And I think the, the big sticking point, especially for the Lustenau fans then, is the referee didn't opt to give a red card. But if we're not sure about it and the referee wasn't sure about it, can you then say it's a clear and obvious error and that it needs looking at by VAR? I guess it's not just that the red card necessarily we think was a, was a very, very bad decision. It was more like, should the VAR have even gotten involved there? I wouldn't call it a clear and obvious error at all. And I was surprised when the VAR call was happening because I did think it was, it was yellow, that there were players around, it wasn't last man. Like, but I think it was very peculiar that it was given as a, as a red. But um, yeah, it changed the course of, of, the, of the entire match. And up to that point, it was pretty tight. Lustenau had, I think, one chance, but I think at that point, Austria-Vienna had like three or four chances. They were, they were definitely on top, but it was looking like a tight game, and that, and that red card just completely ruined the game in terms of being a cl close contest. Yeah, Austria-Vienna, by that point then, against 10 men, they really should have been more, uh, more goals up at half-time. It was still 1-0 at the break, um, so they scored immediately from the free kick, resulting from the red cards. That was saved, and Fischer tucked in the rebound. Tabekovic then missed a big, big chance. It was a little bit casual in front of goal. Side-footed it towards the Lustenau goalkeeper. They missed other chances. Lustenau just had one real attack 
uh, for the rest of the game, really. It was it's sort of a, a flat contest after that, and Austria-Vienna ran out deserved 5-0 winners and probably deserved European participants as well taking the spot. It would have been brilliant for Lustenau, who would have been able to add to their Intertoto Cup journey of uh, 1999, uh, a European Cup history, which I was surprised to find out that they had. But um, they lost to Stade René on that uh, occasion, and Stade René went on to beat Austria-Vienna in the next round of the Intertoto Cup that year, with uh, Juve lurking in the draw there as well. But um, Lustenau, it, it was still a very, very good season for them, wasn't it? Before we get on to Austria-Vienna clinching that Conference League quali place. A very impressive effort by Marcus Mader's men. Yes, it was a very impressive season. I think always being the team that has promoted from Liga Svar, it's, it's quite a large jump in quality. But as we've seen uh, over the last few seasons, the team that is promoted generally performs quite well in the league. Lustenau definitely have had a great season to, to, to come to just a, a two-legged playoff away from European football in their first season back in the top flight after 24 years away. Full credit to them. Uh, the atmospheres, all the home games have been quality, even though we haven't been able to go watch because it's quite far. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing how they can build on this season going into, into next season. Yeah, if you imagine Blauweiss-Linz now who've got promoted, if you imagine Blauweiss-Linz going on to repeat what Lustenau have done, I felt, felt like that put it in some perspective for me. Thinking about them now, if, if you offered them that for next season, hey, Blauweiss-Linz, would you take, you know, finishing second in the relegation group, getting to the playoff final, take your chances there. I think they would, to use the football cliche, uh, bite your hand off, wouldn't they, for that? Yeah, I think they would, of course. And I mean, uh, the, the, the season before Lustenau was Austria Klagenfurt, of course, and they've now reached the top six two years in a row. So being the, being the promoted side in the Bundesliga, you know, success, it could happen. It could happen. Yeah, might be a little target on Plauweiss-Lintz backs next season, especially with their new stadium shaping up nicely uh, on the banks of the Dornau. To go back to Austria-Lustenau, though, a little bit of controversy before this playoff final. Uh, Hakim Ganoush, who'd been an impressive part of their revival in the latter part of this season and their strong uh, campaign early on in the Bundesliga season and then again at the end in the relegation group. Ganoush um, refused to turn up for training after the end of the season and we've seen this it's not the first time we've seen this in Austria that the regular season obviously finishes after 32 games but then if you make the playoff there's sometimes a bit of dispute as to whether that is covered in your contract or not because has the season ended has the season not officially ended Um, and Genoush didn't turn up for training and uh, just to add a bit of extra spice or a bit of extra needle to this playoff final is because he's very likely it seems to make a free transfer to you guessed it Austria Vienna that is very interesting, for sure. In terms of the contract situation, I mean, it potentially shows that Lustenau weren't thinking about Europe. <laughs> They're more just thinking about survival. But uh, I do think, uh, you know, it's not the first time this has happened in the Austrian Bundesliga. And I think all, all of these clubs are going to have to start inserting the, the, these clauses saying, no, the season ends after the uh, UEFA Europa Conference League playoff final Two legs. <laughs> <laughs> if we get there, yeah. yeah exactly. um, what does it say about the player, though? You know, is it sensible stuff if it's not covered? Or is it, does it make them look like a bit of a mercenary if they're just not willing to turn up as soon as the writing doesn't cover it, potentially? Oh, yeah, it makes him look like a mercenary, 100%. I mean, if you're looking at Austria-Vienna and you see that's the kind of player you're going to have, I don't know, it doesn't leave the best impression, really, you know? Then again, if, if the player's thinking, oh, is it against my future team and I, I don't want them to play in Europe next season come on, come on. This is the team you're playing for at the moment and that's all that matters. Yeah, there was a good example of a conflict of interest this season in Tino Vavra, who was part of the staff at Blauweiss-Linz. He announced that he was moving to St. Pölten for next season and the two of them were rivals at the top of Liga 2 at the time. And Vavra said quite clearly then, do you know what? My dream would be 
of course, that Blauweiss Linz get promoted this season whilst I'm working for them. And then I'll try and achieve that again with St. Pilton next season. That's exactly what happened for him there. So the kind of conflict of interest thing, I think he handled that quite smartly and it worked out the way he wanted it. So, you know, maybe there's, there's something in that f- for this situation as well. I guess if you're an Austria Lustenau player, you should be pushing hard until the end of the season. But it is a bit awkward if you then went on to deny your, your new team, if it does turn out to be that, a place in Europe. In the end, regardless of that, we don't have to worry about where Austria Lustenau would play any European qualifiers. We don't have to worry about any of that because Austria Vienna did take that fifth European spot. So the big five, as it were, are our five European placements for Austria next season. And it will be Austria-Vienna's 54th European campaign, which is quite a remarkable number, considering the first European season was, what, 1955? So they've had a lot of European campaigns. Some have gone much better than others, though, particularly in recent years. Yeah, recent years haven't been great. It's been like, you know, memories of Breiderblick and stuff that are pretty tough to get out of the mind. And the Conference League group stage was a ray of light last season, but then they didn't do very well in that group stage, got pumped a couple of times by the likes of Lech Poznan. They are in with a a difficult journey to try and get back to that group stage next season, aren't they? Starting in the second qualifying round as they are. But they did receive a bit of a boost in uh, sneaking in as a seeded team because they could have got some pretty big heavyweights. When you consider how early this is in European qualifying, there, there could have been some virtually impossible paths to the group stages. Yeah, they really could have. So, so Austria-Vienna are seeded, like literally just seeded. <laughs> they're, they're very lucky. I think they were um, the very last team to take their spot in qualifying as well, which is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. The, the, the last team to actually qualify and, and the uh, second from last seeded team as well, which means that they'll avoid heavyweights like Fenerbahce, Pesiktas, Victoria Pilsen, Maccabi Tel Aviv, Club Bruges, FC Basel, who were, of course, semi-finalists in this season's competition. So they've avoided all those. Does that mean our Austria's rivals, Turkey, in terms of the European coefficient, are going to have Besiktas and Fenerbahce sort of spamming wins in the Conference League group stages again? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, and qualifiers. So they get even more points because they, they march through the qualifiers against tiny teams and then march through the group stages against small teams. That's, ah, they're gaming it. They're gaming it in Turkey. This is a discussion for maybe the beginning of next season, but uh, I think if Austria remains in 10th, it would be a minor miracle. <laughs> Just looking at how Turkey performed last season and the, the Turkish Super League seems to be progressing as well. It, it went for a couple of years there where it was quite bad in Europe. But um, yeah, some of their opponents uh, they could face, I mean, it's, it's a very limited list of like, major names. A couple of clubs over the border in Hungary and Slovakia, which would be great for us. That would be a great little trip in Tom's car, maybe. <laughs> yeah, definitely um, up for some European qualifying road trips in a surprisingly short amount of time as well. They're only in a couple of weeks, virtually. Yeah, exactly. But there's also a couple of teams from Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan. So I don't think Tom's car can, can, uh, can, can venture that far. <laughs> Please, no. I might not make it for that in my very small, quite old car. But yeah, it's, it's going to be quite exciting. I mean, I think the, the European qualifiers are always a fun time of year. And if I'm correct, the OFB Cup first round is the weekend of July... 21st, 23rd, and then Austria-Vienna would enter the Conference League second qualifying round on July 27th. So that is not far away at all. No, very, very soon. Um, Obviously, we have Salzburg, we have Sturm, we have Lask, we have now Rapid and Austria taking up the Austrian places in Europe. We ran a poll which, with a minor lead, came out saying that we think three teams of those will get into the group stages. That's the guaranteed amount. Um, So what that's saying is it's going to be very hard for Rapid and Austria to get through qualifying. Uh, What are your thoughts on that now we've sort of had a look at um, who Austria might avoid 
you know, how difficult is it going to be for those two Vienna teams in uh, Conference League qualifying? I mean, it could be harder just by the fact of Austria's coefficient and the fact that Rapid have been in the Europa League group stages a couple of times and Austria-Vienna as well in group stages. They, they will both be seeded in their draws. So kind of makes it a little bit easier, but that's what we said last season. And we know, we know what happened with Rapid-Vienna last season. It kind of depends on what kind of summer they have. I think Austria-Vienna definitely look a team on the up. Uh, just how they play. Um, hopefully, they, they can keep ha- uh, Harris Tabakovic, who has been a, a, a sensation this season. You know that that's going to be very difficult. I'm sure a, a lot of clubs are looking at him and thinking that that's a talent that we, that, that we could take. I think Rapid, the, the job they have is much bigger. And frankly, by the time the third qualifying round comes, which I believe is August 10th, who knows where where, where, where Rapid will, will be at? Who knows who will be at the Allianz Stadium? Really, they have a lot of work to do. But, you know, I, I'm forever an optimist. I would love to see five teams. I, I don't think there will be. I, I'm going to hedge a bet on four. So I reckon one of the two teams will, will, will get into the group station. And I hope so, because we want at least a team in Vienna to be in Europe. Yeah, I mean, five would be just brilliant for the coefficient chances as well. And we do need the Austrian teams uh, performing in those group stages, or at least in those qualifiers, for as long as they can. Tough ways to get through. We don't know the draws, of course, yet, but uh, tough routes, I suppose, into the Conference League group stages. And the Conference League is the one where, you know, you can make a bit of money, you can make some easy points for Austria, theoretically. You know, you've got a better chance of winning some games in those group stages. So, like, how important is it for Austria-Vienna, especially, to have snuck in in that playoff and, and grabbed that final spot? You know, of course, their financial troubles have long been talked about. Lustenau fans were feeling a bit bitter, like it was scripted that Austria would take that fifth spot. And uh, Klagenfurt fans obviously felt that during the uh, end of the season as well, that, that they were sort of destined to finish sixth. But how important is that money? Uh, and then how much money could Austria sort of rake in by going through a few rounds in qualifying, roughly? It is quite a substantial amount. Um, just from qualifying for the second qualifying round, if you lose there, you, you earn 350,000 euros, which is a fair amount. Rapid Vienna will be earning at least 550,000 euros, which is you know, quite a sizable sum for Austrian Bundesliga teams. If you qualify for the group stage, you're making almost 3 million euros, which uh, I think for any club in Austria is a, a, a tidy sum. If you win in the group stage, you get 500,000, the draw, 166,000. So if you can go quite far in, in this competition, there are real money-making um, opportunities. It's to be seen how, how far these teams can get. I mean, if they get in the group stages, for sure, it'd be fantastic. But in terms of, like, obviously Klagen fans and Lustenau fans thinking it was scripted against them, you know, it, there is, like... The fact is that the top five teams in the league in terms of attendances, in terms of their fan bases, in terms of every other measure, have qualified for Europe. So on one hand, it might be great for the coefficient. On the other hand, you know, for the smaller teams, maybe having all these top five like run away because they already have every advantage possible playing in these large cities. Like it's the top four cities in, in Austria population wise. Yeah, so it's an interesting conversation to have. Yeah, in a way, it's nice to see all five in Europe, but it does deny us the kind of uh, the magic of the cup in that sense of like you know having Austria Lustenau play a qualifier against anybody would be special for them. Hartberg, like when they got into Europe, it's really special for those teams, and it is of course nice to see teams like write a bit of a chapter in their history in a way that the big teams obviously have these higher expectations, and it's not quite as special for them when they you know when they play qualifiers. There's more of the 
a sort of grind of you've got to get that out of the way. You've got to win those games and get through to the group stages. However, we'll talk about transfers and things in the second part of this episode. For now, in terms of sort of concrete teams that anybody could draw against, we know that Austria, Vienna, as we've said, are seeded. They'll definitely avoid some of the big heavyweights. Um, Rapid and Lask, they don't really have any concrete teams that they can come up against yet, do they? But what about Salzburg and Sturm in their respective uh, Champions League paths? So Salzburg obviously guaranteed to be in the group stages. Obviously, we, we, we all know what, what the top seeds look like, and, and the second seeds definitely is a much stronger group. So looking at the easiest top two, you're going to have to say Feyenoord and Porto would definitely be the easiest top two for Salzburg. When Porto's in that list, yeah. you know it's tough. Yeah, but on paper, that, that, that is the simplest route. And then the hardest probably be the reigning European champions, Manchester City and Real Madrid, who are top of pot two. So, have fun with that. <laughs> Some potentially massive ties awaiting. I mean, that's what the Champions League group stages do to you, though, isn't it? That's what Salzburg want to be involved in. And what about Sturm in their qualification path towards the UCL? Stonegrats have a guaranteed four opponents. They can either face Rangers, PSV Eindhoven, Olympique Marseille, or Praga from Portugal. You're looking at those, and, you know, I can't really choose an option there that would be most convenient for... Sturmgratz to reach the, the, the UCL playoff round because of course Sturmgratz have to win two two-legged ties to go through and if they lose that tie then they'll uh, go into the Europa League playoff round and if they lose that tie they're guaranteed to be in the Conference League they're guaranteed European football and they might drop through three competitions but it's quite unlikely to do that what do you yeah. reckon Europa League groups for them potentially yeah. Champions League seems like a very very difficult journey doesn't it Yes, it does. It does. But, you know, you look at those teams and I mean, you're looking at a Rangers who aren't as strong as they were a couple of years ago when they reached the Europa League final. A PSV Eindhoven who they played last season. Olympique Marseille. Marseille are definitely on an upswing after a long period of, of not really achieving much. And Braga are kind of always there. They're always like, you know, they're proper Europa League contenders, aren't they? So, yeah, I mean, for Sturm, I mean, a win in Champions League qualifying would be huge. And they came very close last season, if you remember. But um, yeah, I think the Europa League group stage is probably the most likely home. And as we saw, that is also very, very difficult because the Europa League now is not what it used to be. It's a much stronger competition. If I'm honest with you, like, if just from a Austrian team going far, if Sturmgratz dropped down to the Conference League, potentially quarter-final, semi-final candidate, really, potentially against Juventus and Aston Villa, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, but Rapid won't be meeting Aston Villa, will they? Uh, Rapid fans, or well, Aston Villa fans actually, were terrified of meeting their, their arch nemesis, Rapid. But uh, is it right that that's not going to happen? Did they just sneak in as, as a, a seeded team? So it looks like that's not going to happen in qualifying. But if the predicted group stages happen as they are, Villa would be pot two, Rapid pot three. So they can draw each other in the groups. And if they do, that will be fantastic. <laughs> and I will definitely go to that game because uh, uh, the two of us don't live too far away from where Aston Villa are, so that would be a great, a great trip to see. I guess I live close to Aston Villa and Rapide in that sense. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an odd European rivalry, but we love it. And, you know, those are some of the potential European matchups and things and some of the routes that the teams could get. You've gone for four Austrian teams in the group stages. Um, I think the, the cynical side of me says three. We're going to drop back to the definite three. But I'm hoping, you know, fingers crossed that one or, or both of the Vienna teams can make it through qualifying and, and reach the, the holy grail of the, those brilliant days. The group stages are so good, aren't they? Six guaranteed ties, home and away, trips around Europe. It's, it's just brilliant, and I hope they can get there. I mean, it's the same thing that European qualifiers are also a wonderful time of year. And on our sister podcast, The Sweeper, it's, it's their prime time of the year. <laughs> teams from Andorra playing, you know, teams from Kazakhstan. It's unbelievable, you know. 
I'm sure that they're going to cover that very, very well. But uh, it's, from an Austrian point of view, it's always quite exciting. And, I, and, you know, I hope looking at who Austria-Vienna can draw, maybe it's a road trip to Hungary or Slovakia and we can, we can be there in the stadium, both home and away. You want something geographically close. Yeah, OK, very nice. Uh, can't complain with that. We'll take a quick break for this episode of the other Bundesliga podcast. We'll come back with a little bit of transfer talk and a look at the upcoming international games as well. Stick with us. Welcome back to the other Bundesliga podcast. Obviously, it's still early doors in terms of the summer transfer season and the summer transfer window in Austria, but there have been a couple of moves already and perhaps the one that caught the eye the most, just as we were wondering whether there'd be enough content for this pod. Uh, Lask, dispatching with the services of Didi Kubauer, their head coach, and uh, implementing the 39-year-old Thomas Sagida. What do you reckon to this? Um, was that a shock appointment to you, Simon? So on one hand, yes. His career, he comes from Rebel Salzburg, because of course he does. He managed a lot of the, the, the Rebel youth teams, and even, even in Africa with, with the Rebel system. His only head coach experiences in Austria, Kamadesi Arlen and Blauweiss Linz, where he spent two years. And then he followed Oliver Glasner as well to, to a VfL Wolfsburg. So what I think just from hearing about his close personal relationship with, with Oliver Glasner, I reckon Lask of phoned up Glasner and he's recommended Thomas Sagida and Lasker went okay let's do it and now here he is you reckon they've put, he's put in a word Oliver Glasner's put in a word for Sagida I mean obviously a lot of Lask fans would, would prefer to have Glasner back because he's <laughs> leaving this summer as well from his job but um, it's not the first time that Lask have gotten rid of a coach who's relatively been doing well in sporting terms you don't have to think back too long to see when they got rid of Valerian Ishmael who was in a kind of strong phase and now they've done the same even though a solid third place finish was that was their Bundesliga reward for this season it's peculiar but I think we all know how how did Didi Kuba plays football and from what we've seen of, of, of how previous last teams have played maybe it's not what the ownership want they want a more rebel Salzburg like style of football I think that that's the, that's the crux of it. You know, I, I really think Kubauer's way of playing just hasn't fitted well, even though, even though it got them the results. It al- almost got them to the cup final. It got them to third in the league. It got them back in Europe, which is very key after we've been moving into a new stadium and spending all that money on that. I, I'm just surprised that, that they would go for a man who's been the coach of, of FC Liefering last season. This is not Liefering of old, who were challenging for the league's far title. This is a Liefering who was struggling down the bottom half of the table. So... He might be in the Rebel system, but his CV isn't really... Apart from being Oliver Glasner chosen, his CV is not incredible. Of course, it's, it's a risk, and I'm very intrigued by it. It's very interesting, actually, I think. Perhaps there's a feeling at last that you don't develop, really, under Didi Kubauer. He's got him to third this season. Uh, that might be the best that they can do with him. And they're looking at teams like Sturm, who are developing, who are pushing on, who are pushing up into the top two, who are, you know, potentially challenging for titles. Sturm obviously came away with a title this season, winning the cup. And Lasker thinking, hey, we want to be the team who can win trophies if Salzburg slip up. And and the Didi Kubauer, you kind of, you have a known quantity, but you maybe know your ceiling as well, perhaps. So it is a risk because, you know, he's got a high floor, but if he's got a low ceiling, they've obviously felt that it's worth replacing him with Thomas Sageda. Young coach, uh, yeah, one that we're, we're very much looking forward to, to seeing how it works out. It's going to be an interesting one and, and definitely one to watch. Um, in terms of the actual transfers, in terms of players so far, there'll obviously be a lot more to come. What has caught your eye so far in the transfer market in Austria? Asker finished third in the league. 
Alex Schlager has been their goalkeeper for many, many years. And now he's left on a free transfer to join Red Bull Salzburg, which is a team that which he began his career with, of course. He's very much built in the Red Bull way. However, it's a kind of interesting interesting move. I mean, uh, well, what do you make of it, Tom? What do you make of Schlager? It was heavily rumoured for a long, long time. But now it's years, finally happened. Fact. Now it's finally happened. It's kind of, um, yeah, a bit intriguing because it's not obvious whether he's going to be first choice. Lee and I spoke about this on the last pod because it happened just before we recorded the last one. And, you know, we were surprised a bit that Salzburg were so openly saying that he's not going to be the first choice goalkeeper. But Schlager obviously backs himself to, to take over that number one role. I think at last, I'm more interested in the fact that Andres Andrade has come back from Bielefeld. He's a player, uh, the Panamanian fullback that I really enjoyed watching a couple of years ago. He left for the German Bundesliga at the time. You know, couldn't really blame him for that. But I was disappointed to see him go. And now he's back. So... That was a sort of positive development before when we were getting ready for this pod. We're really happy to have Andrade back. He bombs down the, the, the wings, doesn't he? He gets forward and, and put in some brilliant crosses back in the day. Played in Europe with Lask and looked like one of their bright lights for a while. So hoping he's developed in Germany and that he can come back even stronger now. Yeah, potentially. It's interesting because obviously the, the, team, the team who he played for in Germany, Armenia Bielefeld, have got relegated from the Bundesliga and then the Spider Bundesliga. So two relegations in two years. I mean, maybe he just wants to return home, you know, and just uh, play for a team that's, that's uh, ch- challenging in Europe and, you know. A bit more stable, perhaps. Yeah, his German adventure wasn't what he imagined, I guess. No, maybe we need some Bielefeld fans to, to tell us actually how he did during that period. Because, as you say, double relegations, probably not the dream that he imagined when he left for Germany. There's that running joke in the German-speaking world about whether Bielefeld actually exists. And I'm sure Andreas Andrade really, really doesn't want Bielefeld to exist in his career uh, at the moment now. So, yeah, it's uh, funny. In terms of other clubs, for me, I'll move down the league to the, the winners of the uh, relegation group, VATC. They've signed already Thomas Sabitzer, uh, another Alaska link. You know, Sabitzer was out on loans at, uh, on loan at VSK. He scored a few goals this season. Uh, Vieta have signed him. They're also rumoured to be in the market for Bernie Zimmerman from Rapid. He's got 13 goals in 47 appearances. Most of those were substitute appearances for Rapid. Uh, I know a few Rapid fans are not too happy about seeing, uh, you know, young sort of Rapid prospect, somebody who kind of wears his green and white heart on his sleeve, I suppose, in terms of Bernie Zimmerman maybe moving to VRC. We'll see if that does happen. And another potential of VRC is that Ty Baribo would be leaving their top scorer this season, Ty Baribo, um, could be going out to, to Watford in England. So, you know, a lot of moves up front, both in and out, in the market for, for VRC. This is a team that's been in Europe a fair amount the last few seasons, and they, they, they came close this season. This might not have been the season that, that, that they'd, they'd hoped for. Uh, particularly when they're bottom of the league for <laughs> a substantial amount of it. Wolfsburg, as we discussed, if you get in the Europa League, you earn a lot of money. So um, I'm sure they have money available to, to, to bring in some, some striking talent. I'm sure it kind of hurts seeing their local rivals, Austria Klagenfurt, being in the top six when they think it's, it's their rightful place. <laughs> Moving to uh, Rapid, they made one of the earliest signings of the summer, a very rapid move, bringing in Fali Mayulu from promoted Blauweislinz. So they've, they've got him, they've secured his services already. And under the new managing director of sport, Marcus Katzer, that was the first move. And now they have their second one. That's Dennis Kaigin, who's come in from Mainz. But he's come in from Mainz uh, U19, the under-19 team, who won the under-19 Bundesliga this season in Germany. And uh, he was the captain for quite a few of those games as well. So although he's a very young player, hasn't really played much senior professional football, uh, yeah, very impressive junior record for Dennis Kaigin. So looking forward to seeing him. I'm not sure he's exactly what Rapid need in terms of sort of first team midfielders for, for the beginning of next season. But 
definitely one to develop in a, a team that have a lot of good young players. Uh, any other clubs or signings that have caught your eye this week? Hartberg obviously made their own option of Ruben Providence from for, for AS Roma um, permanent, which is uh, good. He's been very, very impressive for Hartberg. Uh, I, I how saw are they him... affording that? That's a big surprise. I don't know how much. Have Hartberg ever paid any money for a player? This is incredible. I, I, I don't know. It's not mentioned on transfer marks, so it'll be kept private, I guess. But you know, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's a d- decent wedge. But Providence has played very, very, very well. I actually saw him score a winning goal in the last minute for Hartberg. And yeah, I mean, they're very impressed by his forward play. He's, he's a very intelligent player. So yeah, it can, can only improve a team that, you know, the last couple of seasons have been down at the bottom of the table rather than in the pack in the middle where they really want to be. So yeah, Hartberg making positive moves. Yeah, we know about the big outgoing transfers from Salzburg, of course. Uh, Benjamin Sheshko and Nicholas Saival going to Leipzig. If you can even call them sort of proper transfers, I don't know. That's an argument for another day. But um, <laughs> A long argument for another day. <laughs> yeah, OK, fair enough. But Altac, uh, just before we recorded this podcast, announced that they've got a new manager. They've got their dealings done early. And Joachim Standfest, who was the uh, assistant coach under Klaus Schmidt, is now going to be their head coach for next season. Standfest with uh, more than 500 Bundesliga appearances under his belt. Um, I just like the fact that they've got the move done early. I don't really have an opinion on what I think of Standfest as a manager, but... You know, it's decisive. It's just after the season. It's early in the summer. He'll have time to work with the players. Seems like a fairly uh, sensible move for me. He's been a Sturm assistant before in his past. He was the assistant to Klaus Schmidt, as I said. So, yeah, seems like a, a sort of safe pair of hands. But will he be able to steer Altak away from the kind of inevitable, maybe relegation? You'd say, as we've said, teams who come up tend to be quite strong in the Bundesliga. So I'd say Altak are probably the favourites for relegation next season as of right now. Yeah, I mean, I would say that as well. I mean, uh, just look at the last two seasons. It was, it was the final day last season, and it, and it, was, it was the penultimate week of the season. That they will need to work on that, I guess. I mean, hopefully that this will happen to them for a first season in a row, but at the moment, they're definitely favourites to go down. Um, talking about going down, going up, did you see this week that Ralph Rangnick called openly for a 16-team or more Austrian Bundesliga? He said, you know, the strength of Gear Car, seeing a team as strong as Gear Car with that many fans not getting promoted made it clear to him that there's enough you know you could definitely find a few more of those teams and, and push up the Bundesliga to 16 teams strengthen it it's better it gives a lot more places for young players to play Bundesliga football and now you look at the likes of uh, Schwarzweiß Bregenz who are sort of not a sleeping giant as such but you know a fairly big team and now DSV Leoben who are coming up um, DSV Leoben have got a lot of fans as well they're sort of creating something there under Carsten Janka so there are more teams now in, in Liga 2 who've got a fairly solid fan base. Um, the TV deal runs out in a few years in Austria. Do you, do you see that being something that they discuss in, in the coming weeks and months, maybe years, to try and actually push up the Bundesliga into a, a larger format? And, and would you prefer that? Rangnick said he's definitely not a fan of the, the points division and the split and everything. Yeah, I mean, the whole point split thing is very contentious. I definitely think Austria can support a 16-team Bundesliga. Countries similar size to Austria, you just have to look over the border and Hungary and Slovakia, and then those countries can support a division that large. Although Austria is obviously outperforming them in terms of Austrian Bundesliga standings in Europe right now. Of course, of course. But I think there are enough big teams in Austria to warrant a 16-team Bundesliga. But it is... An interesting thing that you know his his whole idea was oh but like the Graz or AK the massive club you didn't give any any other examples <laughs> <laughs> so so maybe he wants a 13 team Bundesliga that's that's what you want <laughs> all right fair enough <laughs> no no but I think the 16 team league definitely makes sense 
I'm not a huge fan of the point split, but then again, you have to think about the quality. And I, I saw Ranić's quotes, and it's like, oh yeah, but the, these teams can bring through young Austrian players who have the, the potential to play against Salzburg and Sturm and Rapid, and like it's a great experience. Yes, but also the quality of the league could be much worse at the bottom as well. So you run that risk. And also, what happens to the second division? Because the second division in Austria is professional, and then if you go into the third division, it's it's not, apart from a very few examples. So is that drop-off from the second to the third division? That is a hefty drop. And if you drop down, you have to become part-time. You can't support a professional football team at that level. So the 16-team Bundesliga makes sense, but you have to think about how that affects the system as well. Knock-on effects. Let's move from transfers to international fixtures for the last part of this pod. Um, obviously, we'll bring you more transfer news throughout the summer. There might be, in some weeks, in fact, the only thing that we can bring you. But Austrian football always brings up some drama. So I'm sure the weekly pod format will at least provide enough for some uh, brief pods throughout the summer break. And as we discussed in the first part, the summer break is very short anyway before European qualifiers, cup round one, etc., etc., comes back. But uh, right now, just as we're thinking, ah, oh, take a, a big breath, it's the end of the season... Actually, you look at the calendars and you only have to flip over one page and you find out that it's the uh, international fixture list (laughs) which is staring us down for next week. Austria have Belgium away and then Sweden at home. And there's also the the prospect of potentially an England game coming to Austria. Yeah, so these games are actually quite important because Austria's group is only five teams and uh, the two teams at the bottom, Estonia and Azerbaijan, Austria won won both of those games so they're currently on six points topping the group great but feasibly they could lose both these games and then not be top anymore um, and the fact that only the top two go through there isn't any safety net really because Austria don't have anything from the UEFA Nations League it's very important and after such a long season for all these players it's not ideal I mean um, is this a bad time to play the two biggest teams in terms of your rivals in the group, is it a bad time to play them just a few days after the end of the season, or is it good because, like, you know, Kevin De Bruyne has gone off injured, yeah, maybe yeah. in the Champions League final? Yeah, that's sort of a, a, a positive that I can dig out from it. Apologies to De Bruyne and his many fans because obviously, great player. You don't want to see him injured, but you know, maybe it's a, a, a boost for Austria in a, in a small way that De Bruyne is not playing. Obviously, there's huge amounts of quality elsewhere in the Belgium team, but it's not ideal, really, is it? Just sort of clocking off for your summer break and then having that. I think the way to frame it is that all of these Belgian players, quite a lot of them were in European finals. Quite a lot of them, um, you know, have gone to the very end. I mean, so the end of the Belgian season went down to the last, that's the final minute. So, yeah, in some senses, but in the other way, you know, these things have been known for a while. They've known this is coming up. I'm sure Ralph Rangnick has a plan. If there's a chance to get a result away in Belgium, yeah. maybe it's now. And then bring it home for the home game against Sweden. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Austria could very feasibly could get a draw away in Belgium. I would take that. I'm saying it right now. I would would take that. Take that completely. But you have to look at the game against Sweden and that's almost like a cup final because everyone will see Belgium as heavy favourites to win this group. Obviously, they've gone very, very far in in, in World Cups and Euros and the talent they have, they're going to top this group. It's going to be Austria or Sweden at the Euros. And this game on on Tuesday the 20th, where we will both be at, will, will be massive in terms of the group. It changes the whole complexion. Like, Austria could feasibly be six points ahead of Sweden if they win that game with only four games to go two of those games against Estonia and Azerbaijan so you know very, really really important the game away in Belgium is kind of a free hit you can get a point you can get a win unbelievable but that Sweden game is almost like a cup final 
All right, so from a, an outsider's uh, free hit to a, a big pressure home game against Sweden, we've turned down an invite to the British Embassy on that day. We have indeed. <laughs> to be there for, for Austria v Sweden. It was, yeah. it was too important for us to miss Austria v Sweden. We thought we can't, you know, we can't miss that game. We can't not be present for Austria v Sweden. But thanks to the Embassy for inviting us. Yeah, just to say all respect to the Embassy, like, thank you so much for the invitation. It was to celebrate King, Ch- King Charles' 75th birthday, which is, um, you know, it's not really on my calendar. <laughs> with, with all respect. This is a massive game and we couldn't, we couldn't miss it for, 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 for the thrills of going to the embassy and seeing all the lovely British people in Vienna. Um, in terms of a British link and a massive game, Ukraine v England was rumoured to be potentially exploring an option. Obviously, Ukraine can't stage home games easily right now. Uh, there was a team of delegates looking at uh, the Wörterseestadion in Klagenfurt. They suggested that they would prefer to play at the Stadion in Vienna if possible. Um, what do you reckon? Is this going to happen? I wouldn't mind seeing Ukraine v England in Austria. I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> so Ukraine are playing their next two games, I believe, in Tanava in Slovakia, which is just over the border here. You know, it, it, it makes sense. The fact that the Ukraine will play England, England will bring many, many fans. There's a huge Ukrainian population here in Vienna. I definitely think it makes sense. I, I would love to see it. It would be amazing for us to have England come here after the postponed friendly uh, due to the coronavirus back in 2020. It's not the first time England have played in Austria in a random friendly or a random competitive game, of course, because this will be a Euro 2012 qualifier. So back in 2010, Fabio Coelho's England played a friendly against Japan in Graz, which is quite funny looking back. It's not very often that England play friendlies like against a random country in a random country. but England v Japan in Graz? I yeah. would have loved to be there for that game. It's the Tom, Tom Midler's perfect game, I think. <laughs> I would have absolutely loved it. Yeah. I didn't know much about Austria at that time, but England v Japan in Graz? Uh, and England Tremendous. Ha- and England ha- had, had a 12-day training camp in, uh, in the surrounding area in Graz. And uh, yeah, it didn't go down too well, did it? The 2010 World Cup was pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah, but they beat Japan 2-1 with yeah. two own yeah. goals. Is that right? So you know, yeah. that's the omen for, for a bad World Cup. But um, yeah, as you say, Ukraine v England, if it does come here, it would not be a friendly. It would be a competitive game, of course. And it would be quite a big one. And uh, yeah, there's a sizable Ukrainian population in Vienna who would love to get out and support Ukraine for that game. And of course, if you're one of the 30% of other Bundesliga listeners who are living in England, in the UK... We'd love to see you. And maybe if that happens, we can all meet up at the beautiful long haul for a few pints and have a great time. The perfect ending to this week's pod. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for listening to this uh, one more of our weekly episodes. We're, we're putting in the hard yards to bring pods every week, but uh, we'll be back a little bit later on next week. We try and record on Mondays and get the pod out on the Tuesday morning where possible now we do this weekly format but with the uh, big international game that we just mentioned between Austria and Sweden coming up next Tuesday will be a little bit later in our publishing of the podcast next week we do hope you'll join us again for the other Bundesliga podcast If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. That's extremely helpful to us. We also have a Patreon page if you wish to chip in a few euro each month to help us out. That's over at patreon.com forward slash other Bundesliga. Special thanks go to Gabriel Geber at Torn Geber Studios for this lovely music and also to the Gentleman Creatives for their other Bundesliga logo artwork.